amidst, uh, uh, amidst in, a, in an existence that we realize something's wrong with it. Let me ask you, I'm sure you too have felt these moments, these moments of life that I want to bring your, your mind to, these moments of life where the distractions and the busyness somehow go away. Some, somehow you get into a moment where you're left and there's nothing you're focused on except starting to contemplate and wonder and think about life itself. Maybe it's at nighttime when you're trying to fall asleep. Maybe it's a, a moment where no one's around, you have nothing busy with, and all of a sudden your mind starts to go to places that make you wonder about what life is all about. You've had these moments, right? You go too deep in them, it starts to have an existential feeling about it. Like, what's the purpose and the meaning of life? I look out and I see the whole universe. I see the stars. And then here we are suspended in nothing on planet Earth. And yet we live. And yet there seems to be some very specific experiences, laws that seem to govern our universe that are never ending, that never change. And we look and we see uh, uh, life on planet Earth and we see animals, right? And they all seem to have some type of purpose, fish swim, Dogs bark, cats scratch, uh, doors open, shoes are meant to be put on, Michigan's meant to never have summer, all types of stuff. We look out and we see meaning everywhere, but yet then we start to ponder our own existence and we start to think, but yet here, here I am amongst living things and I'm the one, we are the ones that seem to have consciousness. We're the ones who seem to be able to even perceive and think about these things, to even have an understanding of what is all of this about. And yet we see that we're part of this creation. What is the purpose of it? Here we are as human beings, unlike the animals, yet we've been given a mind that's able to wonder and to think and to ponder. And it leads people to asking the question, what is the meaning of life? Everyone's asking this, not just Christians, everyone. If I were to ask you, what is the purpose of life? What is your, the reason you exist? Not, not what do you want it to be? Not what, what helps you get through the day, the temporary thing that helps you get through the day. I'm saying the truth to the reason you exist. All of this exists. It's a good question, right? Well, today we're gonna answer that question but we're gonna see what that reason is in the person and through the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 through our Real Peace series, and we completed it. This big conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, talking about Judas betraying, talking about Peter going to deny, and then he sits there and he tells them, I'm leaving you, my time for my departure is coming, I'm, I'm, I'm about to leave and everyone's sad. And Jesus is talking to them trying to help them and encourage them. And then we get to John 17, which is where we're gonna to be today. Turn there with me and let's read the first five verses together. John 17, we're gonna read the first five verses. And I want you to think about that question, what is the purpose of life? And I want you to see if in these first five verses, as Jesus lifts his eyes up to the Father and he prays, Imagine you're one of the disciples, you're standing there and you're listening and you're observing. What would you conclude through these five verses would you say is the reason for Jesus living? What is his purpose? See if you can spot it. John 17, starting in verse one. When Jesus had spoken these words, chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, that's what these words are. 
He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What is the meaning of life? Jesus' meaning, when he came on earth, all that he was doing was to glorify his Father. The the human example of glorifying God The point of life and the point of all creation is to glorify the one who made it all. So then that leads us to a question, well, how do I do that? Well, I first want to ask you a question. Is that even a concern of your life? Would you agree that the purpose of life is to glorify the only true God? And if you believe that, is that something that you want? In the core of your being and your soul, you want your life at the end of the road to say, I glorified my father who is more worthy than anything on planet earth that I could have set my eyes on. One of our pillars is authentic worship. We just went over this in Summit Men together. The whole point is that God is worthy. His wor- our worship is put on him above all things because he's more worthy than any status, person, material, money, thing, thought, or emotion we could set our worship on. It goes to him alone. So, so I ask you do, you, do you believe that the purpose of life is to glorify God? As it says in Isaiah 43, 7, Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. The reason you exist in your life is to glorify God in all areas. That whatsoever you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, you do all to the glory of God. Do we believe this, church? My heart, when I look out amongst brothers and sisters, I believe we believe this together. I think where we struggle with it is, is sometimes we don't want it. We know it should be. We don't want it. And maybe sometimes we want it, but we just don't know how, how to make that happen. And then we start to put all the effort and work on our shoulders to try to make it happen. This is why then, this is the moment we turn to scripture and we learn. We take the yoke of Jesus upon us and we learn from him. We've read the first five verses. And as you're gonna see on the screen, God, I mean, Jesus is our example. I want you to go back to one more, one more uh, uh, slide before this one. Jesus is our priestly example. It says here, his prayer to the father shows us a human who knew how to glorify his father. You know, the Bible says we're all priests. Priest is someone that God has made that is meant to intercede for the people. Everyone who has called Jesus has been made a part of this royal priesthood, according to 1 Peter. You've been made a priest in the kingdom of God, which means you have a responsibility to intercede and pray for one another. Jesus is our high priest who we learn from. So we look at Jesus praying in John 17, and it's more about us learning and witnessing the heart and the motives of our savior as he prayed, a little bit more so than learning how to pray. That's what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at Jesus and learn 
a few things. So you with me? So here's the question. So you want to glorify God? I'm making an assumption here. An assumption is, hey, we're all here on a Sunday. You've come on your own volition. Maybe some of you are drug here. Maybe you knew you should be here, but you don't want to be here. Either way, I'm making an assumption that we at least acknowledge that we should want to glorify God. I want my life to glorify God. Well, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to look through these first five verses, and we're going to see some qualities in Jesus, necessary qualities for glorifying God. And you're going to see how Jesus just, just bled a life that pleased perfectly his father and glorified him. Let me remind you of some scripture, why this is good for us to look and to learn from Jesus because we're told that. Where Peter tells us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. We're also told in Romans chapter eight that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus Christ was the man that none of us could be. And he lived a life that none of us could live. And he, took, he died as a sacrifice in a way that none of us could because all of us are sinners and he's the only one who's been perfect. And so he, we're gonna see, has accomplished something on our behalf. But for a purpose, ultimately the purpose of glorifying God is what we're gonna see. But there's actually things that he's accomplished we're gonna see as well. And all those who call upon the name of Jesus, who say that I'm a follower of Jesus The scripture declares that God, before you were even created, predestined you on planet earth for the rest of your life to begin this conforming process to the image of his son. So what better time than to look at the example of him lifting his eyes to the father and praying and us wanting to learn from that. Three things I want us to see that I believe are necessary for a life, necessary of a life that glorifies God. First thing is this, when we look at Jesus, we see that he was faithful to the end. Absolutely 100% faithful to the end of his life. Know the context we're in. This is very interesting. They've left the upper room. They've instituted the Lord's Supper. They've, they've talked about, he's warned his disciples, their, their heart sorrow has filled their hearts. And now they are praying and they're gonna soon be leaving and going to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where Judas is eventually going to betray him and meet him. As I studied, I found something out that during this time of the year and the location that Jesus was in, he would have actually had to step over the Kidron Valley or the Kidron Ravine, which means he would have been physically either walking through or stepping over a river that would have been running from the city that would have been mingled with the blood of the sacrifices that were going on during that time of the year. So you have this savior of ours who knows he's going to be the ultimate lamb of God himself sometime during the night having to step over this river that's filled with blood. What could be going through his mind as he knows that his hour has come and he's about to face a brutal, excruciating death. Verse one says this, he lifted his eyes to heaven and he said, father, praying to his father, the hour has come. Meaning that up to this point, the hour had not come. And you see several times through the gospels, you see people trying to arrest Jesus and take him. And he says, my hour has not come. But now he's saying my hour has come. What does he mean? The moment and the climactic moment of all of God's story and creation from the very beginning, all through the Old Testament, leading up to this one moment where the perfect sacrifice would finally come at that right time in history. And the hour would come when he would lay down his life 
And that promise all the way back in Genesis chapter three where man fell at the very beginning and God said that he would bring through the woman a seed, someone who would crush the head of the enemy, though the enemy would bruise his heel, we're gonna see is about to be fulfilled because the hour has come. How about us in our journey? The hours that come in the moments of our life, the circumstances that are extremely painful. And I'm not talking about just hard circumstances in general. I'm talking about circumstances that at the core begin to, to, to hit in your heart and they, they begin to make you think about these deeper existential things and they begin to tempt you to think certain things about God and your purpose. The hard moments of life that are tempting you to say, God's not real and God's not good. What is the purpose of that spiritual attack? It's to cause your faith to waver and for you to give up. Judas being the example of the one who gave Jesus up for 30 pieces of silver. Peter himself saying that I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. And the moment comes and what happens, what's most important to him? Who is he trying to glorify in the moment? He's trying to save his flesh, right? Because he's scared of a little girl before him who's confronting him and he ends up denying his savior. Goes away weeping bitterly. Only Jesus was the perfect example of someone who was faithful to the end. And since he's gone and he promised the Holy Spirit, now we have the power and the ability and the abiding presence of Christ to be able to be faithful to the end just like him. But he had to be the first and the example. The hour has come and you don't see Jesus running. You don't see him giving up. You do see in a prayer in the garden, him saying, God, if there's any way this cup could pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew this moment was coming and he stayed true to the will and the plan of God to the very end, despite the circumstances. Maybe when we're beginning to lose faith in the moments of our life, maybe what's going on in our heart is something like this. I just can't do this. This is too much. God, what are you doing? I thought, God, you would blank. Where are you, God, when blank You promised God that you would blank. This is the heart that is deteriorating as the circumstances are pressing in. Jesus, though, what does he do? He looks up and he says, my hour has come. Look what he says. Here's what his request is. He doesn't say, make it easier for me. He doesn't say, give me some other way. He doesn't say, find a way to make this not happen. He says this, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Here's one thing we don't share with Christ and that's his glory, his preeminent glory that the father has given to him alone. But you see in his heart, his request in the moment of his hour coming, in the moment when he started sweating drops of blood, his request is God glorify your son that the son may glorify you. What does he mean by this? Me going to the cross and doing what it is you have planned for me to do and experiencing this excruciating death is gonna glorify me. I want that to happen, but not because it's all about me, but because I want to glorify you and doing what you want me to do is gonna glorify you. So I'm glorified by doing the thing that glorifies you. 
beautiful union of a perfect relationship we see that Jesus has with his father. Right off the bat, he knows if I'm gonna glorify God, I'm gonna be faithful what he's called me to do to the very end, even if it means death, regardless of the circumstance. This is purposeful. He's a human experiencing this so that we as humans, when we read of our savior who we're supposed to emulate and be like and be conformed to, it begins to make sense for us. You know what? Yep, that moment, what I'm going through here right now, I can see it. I can see how it's not quite this big, but in a small way, I can see where the enemy's trying to deteriorate my faith. No, I'm gonna be like my savior and I'm gonna be faithful regardless of the circumstance because God, this is what glorifies you. He was faithful to the end. Secondly, this, he was obedient in role and mission. He was obedient in role and mission. He said, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And then verse two, he says this, comma, since you have given him authority over all flesh. So Jesus is praying. He lifts his eyes to the father. He makes a request, a request that reveals that his, his motive of life is to glorify God. And he knows that, that he's gonna get that glory through being faithful. So he asks for the strength to be faithful. And then immediately he starts to expound upon his purpose. He starts to expound upon and remind God what it is he's been given to do. So think about this. He says this, since you have given him, who's he, him, the son, me, authority to exercise. Since you have given him authority over all flesh. Colossians chapter one tells us that Jesus Christ has been made preeminent over all things. Paul also tells us in Colossians, that same passage, that everything was made by Jesus. Everything was made for Jesus and everything was made through Jesus and that everything in Jesus holds together. That's a pretty big role, is it not? Pretty awesome, magnificent, glorifying God, Lord, master, none like him, name above every other name, role. And the father has given it to the son. And what has he given him? Authority over all flesh. What role is this? Sounds like the role of a king, does it not? The role of of a master, the role of God himself. You know, when we have different roles we have to fulfill in life, responsibility, we know what it feels like to scamp in that, to not live up to that, to feel the pressures of that. And like, you know, you know it's kind of like this up and down process. When you come to Jesus, you see his obedience to the role that was given to him, perfect. Absolutely Perfect. He's been given authority over all flesh. This is why at the end of everything, it'll be Jesus, the one who's able to take death and hell and throw it into the lake of fire, along with Satan and the evil angels that rebelled, along with every human being that rebels and rejects the only son of God. He will have the authority to cast all of that into the lake of fire. At that moment, there'll, there'll be no reasoning, no philosophy, no atheistic understanding, no, no power of men and women who are going to die anyway, who dwell in their little understanding on earth. At that time, there'll be no other false gods where they at. They're nowhere to be found, no golden calves, nothing else. It'll be the one and only true God exercising the authority 
over flesh. But it's not just one-sided. It's not just the authority to judge. It's also the authority to save. And part of his role of being king, he's also been sent on a mission. And you see Jesus being perfectly obedient to his role and his mission. Look what he says next. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And then look at verse four, look what he says. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now we work it backwards. Obedient, quality of Jesus being obedient to the role that God's given him, but also the mission that God gave him. And that mission was one that benefits every human being extremely gratefully and wonderfully and eternally. A mission to exercise the authority to give eternal life to who? To all whom the father has given him, which is another way of saying there's none that the father has in the plan of salvation that will be lost. Jesus says, all that the father gives me will come to me. He even talks about how I've lost none of who the father has given me except for the son of perdition. But it was prophesied in scripture that Judas would be lost, the son of perdition. That had to take place. Jesus coming and he's exercising this mission to save mankind, to save the people of God, to bring eternal life. But what is eternal life? He even defines this in his prayer as he's looking up to his father showing very well that he understands the role and the mission that he's been given. Also understanding that we would read this and need understanding. And it defines eternal life as this. And this is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God, meaning there is no other God, and meaning that the God of the Bible, Yahweh, is authentically real and the creator of all things. The eternal life is this, that they know you and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You look at the ministry of Jesus on earth, people would come to him and they'd ask him questions about the kingdom and he'd always bring it back to knowing the father, knowing more and understanding the father better. But also this mission that he came on to make people realize that the only way you can be connected to the father is through me. Didn't he say that back in John chapter 14? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And if you come through me, then you can be sure you're connected to the father. If you love me, then you can be sure. He says earlier in chapter 16 that the father loves you because I and my father are one. To see me is to see the father. We're so connected and so unified and of one accord and we are one together that to know me and to see me and to believe in me is to know and to see and to believe in the father. And he says this, eternal life is living forever in a great place of pleasure. No, he says eternal life is this relationship with the God who made you. That is eternal life. Jesus is experiencing the life and the relationship with the father. He knows how good it is and he wants us to experience it. But the eternal life is the relationship. It's not about a place. It's about a person. And his mission was to make the father known but also to make the son known. People said, hey, what are the works? They came to Jesus and they said, what are the works of heaven that we should be doing, right? That's what we wanna know. Give me the list. What are the things I should be doing? And Jesus said this, here's the work, the one and only work that God requires, that you believe on the one whom he sent, talking about himself, Jesus Christ. 
You see the example of Jesus here in this prayer as he's lifting his eyes to heaven and you see the faithfulness that's bleeding out of him, but did you also see the obedience to the Father's plan? Both in who God has made him to be or given him to be. Jesus was not made, we are made. But who God has given him and meant for him to be and what God has given him to do and he executed it and accomplished it perfectly. And he says here, I glorified you on earth. You see where this starts to bleed into our purpose as we look to our savior who's supposed to be our image that we're conformed to? I glorified you while on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then you see the hour comes and he goes to the cross. He hangs for almost six hours. And at some point when he was rejected and the father forsook him and darkness came on the land, And he went through all of that brutal lashing and his blood being spilled and seeing his own people turn from him, all the the horror of the cross. What does he do? He cries out and he says, it is finished. The temple breaks in two, the veil is torn, symbolizing that the way to God had been finally made right again. Reconciliation. What had been lost had been gained, but only through Jesus Christ. He did the work, he accomplished it. Now the mission is that remains for all of earth's time, which will come to the end, is for his people who are little Christs, who are supposed to be like Jesus here on earth, to be obedient to the same mission to help make the Father known and the Son known. And we carry this mission into the world because that's what Jesus has commissioned us to do. And that's why our mission here at Summit is to glorify God by making disciples that exalt Jesus Christ. There is no greater purpose on earth. Everything else will fall short and lead to a gaping hole of an existential crisis in the moments of life. If you get a good enough time to be distracted from all of the distractions to even feel that and hope that would cause you to grasp towards something of deeper value, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus was faithful to the end. He wants his disciples to be as well. Jesus was obedient to the role and the mission that God had given him to do. What role and mission has God given you to do? Our roles may look different at different parts in the church and on planet earth, but our mission is all the same and it can be accomplished in many different ways, but we need to be about that mission because we cannot glorify God by doing our thing living for us and making God the part of our life that's there to serve us and bring about the glorification of ourselves. Our life should be about doing what he wants to glorify him. I wanna read a verse and then we're actually going to transition into communion. I wanna read a verse in the book of Hebrews. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look what it says about Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why would Jesus go through all of this? One, he had the greatest purposeful motivation and that was to glorify his father. But he also had something as we're gonna see in verse five when we conclude today, that he had something he was waiting for that was coming. 
he was able to with joy because of what awaited him endure anything that came to him on planet earth. So here's what I'll do. I want the men to come down as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, this is eternal life. I've been given authority over all flesh and I've been given the mission to bring eternal life to the world. The only way that happened was through the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. So we're gonna take a moment now with this scripture in mind, hearing the heart of Jesus hours before he went to do that, to do this in remembrance of him which before he prayed this, only minutes before instituted this. Do this in remembrance of me. All right, so I'm going to pray. The men are gonna come forward and we're gonna begin to pass the elements. Father, as we take this moment to pause, to reflect on the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf on the cross, his sacrifice, you would tune our hearts to see you, to love you, to know you, you be patient with us. You take the moments of life that we, we make so, so much about us and we have such short-sightedness. You give us this eternal perspective, put our eyes on the summit and in this moment glorify you by making it all about your son right now. It's not about us, it's about your son and what he's done. He gets all the glory. So as limited as we are, with your help, we're gonna tune our hearts to this right now. you're sitting with the bread which symbolizes the body of Christ we're about to pass the cup now which symbolizes his blood and here's what I want you doing in this moment bow your head and close your eyes and take the moment when you get the cup and the bread and you have it in your hand to force yourself to think about the things that we don't like to think about which is why God instituted this is so that we would take time from the busyness and the distractions of life think about these things and then ask God to search your heart and help you and to forgive you of any sin that may be sitting there and you accept the sacrifice of God on your behalf the bread which represents the body of Christ we all have a body we all know what pain feels like we all know what it feels like to think about being before something torturous and painful and how everything inside of us has run from it. Jesus pressed into it. He was the only body that ever lived in human form that could be our sacrifice and died in the place that we deserve. And so we do this in remembrance of him, remembering it because we always forget it. So we do this to the praise and the honor of Jesus Christ. Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins for life is in the blood and so Jesus blood was spilt on our behalf we all understand this we understand that it's there's something visceral and very uncomfortable when the blood has exited the body of a person and it's supposed to remind us that no, the blood should be inside life is there and Jesus willingly had his body broken and his blood spilt on our behalf so that we could have
had life. And in doing this, he appeased the wrath of God so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life and a connection back to the father because God loves his son and God will accept the sacrifice of his son and never turn his son away. And so all who believe in him, he'll never turn away. And so we drink of the fruit of the vine as a symbol and reminder of the blood of Jesus that was spilled on our behalf. Jesus was given authority over all flesh in his role and obedient to the mission to bring this eternal life that we just celebrated. I read that verse from Hebrews that said that for the joy set before him, he endured the hour that was upon him to come. For the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. When we read this prayer, he's still on earth moments away, but Jesus longed for something. Verse five of chapter 17, Jesus says this. He said, and now father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so the final thing we see is that Jesus, he was eager for what awaited him. He had spent 30 something years on earth, but had been eternally with the father in the glory that that was. And he willingly came to earth and lived on sinful on the sinful planet earth and died a very horrific death. And he longed to be back with his father. And Hebrews tells us he's seated at the right hand of God. He's with God. He was eager for that because he loved him in relationship because he didn't fake it. There was actually a loving, longing eagerness to be with God more so than be on planet earth glorify him in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. We celebrate this now in remembrance because Jesus is no longer on earth. Where is he right now? The very thing that Jesus prayed for and he longed for and he looked forward to was given to him. Now listen to the words of Paul as he talks to Timothy. Paul says, the time for my departure is at hand. Paul's hour had come. He said, I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith faithful to the end. Now, therefore, there is a crown of righteous for, righteousness laid up for me in heaven, but not only for me, but also for all of those who love his appearing. You see a God glorifying life like the one of Jesus is one that's real on the inside. Truly God is at the center of your heart. The first and greatest commandment is true for you because you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And everything you want is for him to be glorified and pleased. And so any circumstance that comes to your life, you're faithful because you know it's worth it. Any, any role or mission he's given you to do, you're ready to do it because he's worth it. And you want others to know the beauty of the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And so you're taking this mission into the world. But then also inside of your heart, God looks down and he sees within your heart, not this eagerness to, to, to make your life on earth last as long as possible and get all the pleasure you can from the earth. He looks into your heart and he sees that's not someone who's like happy with just living on earth. This is someone who's ready and longing and eager to be with me. Do you believe that glorifies the father? You better believe it does. Because it glorifies me as an earthly father when my children want to be with me how it makes me feel when they could care less. God looks into our heart and he sees these qualities of a person. Is God glorified? Absolutely. Because these are the qualities of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Church, may we learn from the example of Jesus who was faithful, obedient, and eager and pray together for God to make us those same people here on earth to accomplish the work that he's given us to do. Let's pray. Father, it can be so hard sometimes to be positive, to look up, to be excited because we're so acquainted with the pains and the tribulation of this world and we're so acquainted with our own failures and mistakes and selfishness. And sometimes I have to admit when I, when I see the perfect archetypal example of Jesus, I'm not motivated, I'm, I'm depressed and discouraged because I know I have a long ways to go. God, your intention is to encourage us, not to condemn us. Your intention is to lift us up, not to put us down. Your intention is to ignite us and stir us to good works, to fill us with zeal. And the reason we can feel that way, even in the midst of our shortcoming, is because of the perfection of Jesus on our behalf. Do you not expect us to figure this out overnight? It is a process of growth that you want our whole life to be. And so in this moment, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, they're living for shorter temporary glories, that your spirit would draw them and they'd be overcome by the eternal life that's free and ready for them in Jesus Christ and they would believe. And for us of those who do believe, you would ignite our heart, bring us back to a place where the, where the love is flowing and the affection for you is flowing and that every single step of our life, though filled with pain and hardships, is filled with the love passion and the tenderness and the longing for you. You'd make us these people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.